Hey, everybody, it's Rob Shear, the host of Fostering Change. And wow, we are running through this summer and we are doing the best of season four. You know, this next guest that I'm getting ready to share with all of you, we actually sat down and had this most amazing conversation. My friend Lauren, she's written a book called Unstoppable in Stilettos. I'm telling you right now, she is an unstoppable powerhouse. So do me a favor. Favor. Listen to this, get her book, and then send me some comments because I'd love to know if you got as much out of it as I know that I did. You know, it's still hard to believe that we are actually in season four of Fostering Change. And what an unbelievable ride this season has been. You know, we have had some amazing guests on Greg Luganis. We've had so many of my um, amazing authors. But my next friend, I absolutely am so, so excited to talk to. I actually met Lauren last year and we had done a brunch together. And through my manager, Amy, we were all sitting down and I happened to sit next to her. And the next thing you know, I became, I've got a new friend because she is so easy to talk to. You're going to absolutely love this. But what I absolutely love is her book, Unstoppable in Stilettos. And we're going to explain about all that. So without further ado, please welcome to Fostering Change, my friend, Lauren. Lauren, welcome to Fostering Change. Hello, everybody. Hi, Rob. I'm so excited to finally be here. I know. I'm so, so excited. Listen, I want to jump right in because I, first of all, I have to tell you, you know, I get books, you know, weekly, people who want to be on my podcast, you know, books I, and I do a lot of audio books because, you know, I'm traveling a lot, but your book, I actually sat and read it and it was an easy read, by the way, you know, a lot of times you're reading a book and you get stuck right in the middle and you're just like, oh my gosh, if I have to, and yours was such an easy read. But I have one question before we get started is I love the cover, you know, the absolute cover of this book. And what made you decide to call it Unstoppable in Stilettos? Because I know the story, but I want our (laughs) listeners to know. Well, first of all, stilettos are a love for me. And it really started when I was just a young girl. And basically everybody told me I could never wear high heels. And like every little girl's dream when I was growing up was like, I want to wear heels. Like you always want to be a little bit taller, a little bit fancy. Like I was a girly girl. I wanted to wear bows and big dresses. And because of my deformities and because of my rare disease, McCune-Albright syndrome, they told me no. And like you telling me the word no like I never got out of that teenager phase where like a parent would tell you no and you had to do the absolute opposite and so for me you tell me no and I have to defy that in every which way so I not only when I was 13 was able to get my first pair of heels but I actually feel more comfortable in heels and I feel a little bit taller And I don't know, like, I feel like automatically empowered. I'm a little bit higher. I'm a little bit taller. Maybe the air is better up there, but you will not catch me in not wearing some kind of platform or heels. And as far as being unstoppable, that is just something that I have heard since I'm a child. And so, because I was defiant in the way that not rude to people, but like defined in a way where I always created my own 
um, my own path, my own world, my own, my own everything. And so I needed to be unstoppable constantly and to be unstoppable in stilettos just made it even grander and, you know, fancy and fun. And, you know, my book is fun, but yet educational. Yes, very, very much so. You know, and the thing that I have to tell you, though, is that, you know, when I first met you, I think the people that are watching us and that are listening to us, they truly need to know the to me, I don't want to call them struggles because you've taken something that most people would have done exactly what I was expecting, which is to get into a wheelchair and never move again, you know, and you did just the opposite, you know? And so when I think about Unstoppable, I think about the story that you told me about how, you know, you were told like you were not going to be able to walk, you know, and that your life was going to be defined in a wheelchair. And you said, oh, hell no. And can you tell our listeners about that? Because like I said, that was one of the stories that I will never forget. You told me that. And it, I said this to, I had, I had, a, I had a woman on, on my show one time. Her name is Mindy. I'd never really talked to anybody that her life is confined in a wheelchair. And I really never thought much about it and how it truly, you know, we take for granted what we have in life. And then I meet you. And it's like, okay, this is like two polar opposites, but I want to know exactly when you made that decision to say, oh no, you know, I am unstoppable and that wheelchair is not going to be my home. So I don't want your audience to fall off the floor or, you know, fall right now when I tell you that I was five years old when I made that decision. When I tell people that they're like, what? Like, I can't understand, but I think that I never saw myself as being in a wheelchair and not that there was anything wrong with it. And I don't want anybody that's listening to this or anybody in the world to say that, well, if that, well, why didn't you just take that as your trajectory? Why didn't you just go down that path that everybody was telling you to? And the reason why I didn't go down that path is that I saw a very different life for myself, well, be it at a very young age. I tell people I grew up very, very, very fast. And that's because at the age of nine months old, I got my period. And so I menstruated at the age of nine months old. And normally when a young girl menstruates, they are, as they would call them, probably like a preteen. And that's like, your beginnings of womanhood. And so as such a child, as such a basically a, an infant and then a toddler, I kind of like grew up pretty fast. So I grew up from the inside out is what I tell people. And my trajectory, like you said, was to sit in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. Why? Because it was an easier, safer path. And I didn't come from parents that knew from easy or safe. You know, they were in their 20s when I was first diagnosed at 18 months old. And I truly adopted their voice. And that was not a voice of defeat. I was not a voice of defeat at any age, at any moment in my life. And so when all of the doctors just wanted to keep me safe because by the time I was five, I already broke my femur bones three times. And if anybody 
knows what your femur bone is. It is the hardest bones to break in your body. And I broke them three times and I was in full body cast, literally up to my rib cage and down all the way down my legs. And each time my legs got weaker and weaker and weaker. And that is due to a disease that I have that is called McCune-Albright syndrome. It is rare. It's about one in a million people in the United States have it. And so you're really just talking about less than you know, 6,000 people potentially with this disease, even today, like the numbers haven't really changed that much. But when I was at the age of five years old, I had an amazing physical therapist that it took my parents a really long time to find her. And she became not only my physical therapist, but she became an inspiration to me. She became a mentor to me. And she was the person that said to me, if you want to walk, I will make sure that you do. But it's going to be hard work. You will cry. This will not be easy. And then again, all I really saw was me playing with my friends. And that playing with my friends, remember, I was at such a young age. There was no way I was going to be able to do that in a wheelchair. I was never going to be able to get down and dirty in the sandbox or on the swings or, you know, just the things that we wanted to do at kids that age, um, building, whatever it may be. And I just didn't see myself doing that. So when that question was asked to me, I said, well, of course I want to stand. Of course I want to walk. Now I knew that that meant with crutches, but the crutches didn't scare me. The wheelchair terrified me because the wheelchair represented me not only sitting down, but accepting defeat and defeat by everybody around me. Right. Yeah. You know what? I, I have to tell you, you are a personality like I have never seen before. <laughs> and when I met you, I actually didn't really see the crutches. And so, you know, but I also know, you know, as, as a gay man, as someone who has raised four children of color, you know, I see how differently they're treated. And at times when I came out, how differently I was treated. Do you really think that as you were growing up, here you are, this five-year-old girl, you're doing something that, by the way, I have a son, my son, Makai, those who've read my book, they know that I talk about my son, Makai, we were told he would never walk and he would probably never talk. And we said, we never say never in our family. So I, I really think that, like, I think I can hear your parents saying that to you, that you know, don't don't say no to her because she is unstoppable. But do you really feel that, you know, the segregation that we see? And again, I don't want anybody who's listening to say, oh, this is a but it, it is truly different the way children are how we address children that that, you know, are with crutches are in a wheelchair or, you know, I tell this. And by the way, this is the first time I've ever done this. And I this is my fourth season, but I am legally deaf and people are going to be shocked. They're going to be like, I didn't know that. But how differently we're treated. Yes, I think that, you know, physical disability is always and always I mean I would say always has been and probably will continue because it's different you look a little bit different you represent something that they don't see every day 
So for example, like I walk with these and it's not something, I live in New York City. And so I could tell you when I see, and I call them crutchers, when I see another crutcher, I like get excited because it's something that you don't see. Maybe in the 24 years that I have lived in Manhattan, I have, it's under 20 times where I've ever seen anybody walk with crutches. Like, and I'm talking forearm crutches that they walk with crutches all the time. I'm not talking about when somebody, right, right. you know, breaks their leg, but you are seen different. It's really interesting because initially a child similar in your age or, you know, whatever it may be, a child will see you may ask a question. It's like, what are those? And then you would answer it as a child. Um, you'd be like, well, this helps me walk. And that would be the end of it. A child will see, be like, oh, okay. That answered their question and they will move on. But where you're really segregated and where you're really shown in a different light is by adults. Yes. yes. And the adults is so, it's so crazy to me because a child who, you know, it's just accepting and which is wonderful about children, right? Because they only don't see non-acceptance if they're taught that, right? Yes. But if they see something, they're curious and they just ask and then they feel like, okay, I, I knew it. Okay, I got the answer. And then they move on. But a, an adult becomes initially nervous. It's like you make them a little bit afraid when you are in their space, you're in their house, you're in their classroom, you're in their auditorium, whatever it may be, they become very nervous around you and almost don't know what to say. So they'd rather not see you. They'd yeah. rather not have you in that classroom. They'd rather not have you on that bus or in that auditorium or on that stage, whatever it may be. So what happens is they make a case. And they say, well, she, you know, Lauren is so wonderful and we love her, but what if she falls? Right. But what if, but what if you know, and, and life is a but what if, so they don't think about that, right? But what if anything could happen at any time to anybody? But I become a liability and I am a scary liability in their eyes. So what do they rather do? They rather put me to the side. They rather not invite me to the birthday party. They rather put me in a classroom, but give me an aid. So I'm constantly segregated against only because of the way I look. I don't even have to open up my mouth. I don't have to say hello. I don't have to say anything, but it's the fear of the way that I look that makes them stand back. Wow. Well, I will tell you this. I think you're beautiful. And listen, everybody, we're going to take a quick break. Again, as you know, this is a very long first segment. And it is because of the fact that I get to talk with my friend, Lauren, and it's just so easy. And Lauren, I absolutely love you. But I mean, I want to take this break. But as I take this break, I want to read something. And I want our listeners and our viewers to think about it. Because as I, I read, you know, the unstoppable in stilettos, I see the beautiful painting that's behind you, by the way, of the beautiful, but this is the thing that really stuck to me. Um, and it said, fashion and design are a huge part of who I am. And the reason that stuck to me is because I've seen you. And, you know, when you talk about crutches, that is something you don't think people think 
fashion and design. You know, everyone, you know, my friend Lauren, she's an award-winning author. She's a public speaker. She's a motivational speaker. And we're going to be right back to talk more. This episode of Fostering Change is sponsored by Comfort Cases, a national nonprofit that inspires our communities to bring hope and dignity to our youth that are in foster care. For just $10 a month, you can support the Comfort Case mission and help us eliminate trash bags for kids who are entering foster care. For every $10 that you give, Comfort Cases will give a Comfort XL to a child entering the system. Be part of the change. Visit comfortcases.org. Well, you know, I always say I'm an open book and, you know, most of you have heard me say uh, this is going to be my last season or this is going to be my last guest and I'm going to hang my podcast hat up because I'm so busy. But then this happens. I get the most unbelievable guest that absolutely energizes me. I get a great read and I get to share it with so many friends. And so, you know, if you caught the first half of it, Lauren, there's something that I have to tell you that I really really think a lot about that you said on the first part. See, I always talk about the fact that empathy is something that is taught. It is something that we're not genetically, you know, born with. And then I started thinking about the comment that you made about children and how children, you know, they will look at you, they might say something, which I love questions. I think it's intriguing when kids ask, but then once that answer is given to them, they move on. And it's the adults you know, who continue to keep us so separated. And one of the things, you know, I remember when my children were younger and, you know, as you can see, my kids don't look like me. My, I'm married, my husband and I are white. We have um, four children of color, one children, child. And they walked up and they said, oh, your family's beautiful. We don't see, we don't see any color at all. We see just a beautiful family. And I was like, well, you don't see my four black kids then. Um, and that is something an adult would say. And this is what made me realize when you just said that, I thought about this and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to read this. I quote you and you said, I felt an armor build around me that could resist the labels that others, mostly adults, thrust upon me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. I mean, and they do it at every level. They could be the most educated or not educated. They could be doctors. They could be the president. Of the United you never know what an adult is going to say and how they're going to react. And I call it diarrhea of the mouth because they are so scared to say the wrong thing that then they like vomit everything up. And you're like, um, uh, oh, are you talking to me? And all of a sudden, you know, like I will get questions from adults. For example, I told this story on my Instagram, how I was on my way walking to Pilates class, which is only two blocks from my apartment. And a woman stops me. She says, I love your outfit. And I was like, oh, thank you so much. She, was, she asked me where I got it. I told her where I got it. And then she said to me, so do you wear it as because you like the outfit? Because obviously you can't work out. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And you're like, at first you have to take a step because you're like, did I hear that correctly? And so they're 
assume, and that's like diarrhea of the mouth. Like you cannot believe that somebody would say that to you. And, and then you, you have to take a step back as the person receiving this information. What I always do is I take a breath and I just said, well, ma'am, I'm actually, and I just said to him, I'm actually on my way to place. I appreciate you liking my outfit. And just to let you know, I go on the Pilates machine and I can do more than anybody else in that class. And actually I lift twice as much as what you then would call the average person who can work out. And then at that point, like I just have to walk away and then they do not know what to say after no. that. But, I mean, my ask and you know why I go into corporations today and why I love to speak is to just, if you are curious, then great. Just say, we know as adults how to speak or right. we assume that one knows how to speak. We say, you know what, I'm a little curious. I see you're in this great workout outfit, which I absolutely adore. You know, I am sure that you can work out, you know, like what is the exercise that you could do? Like there's a way to word things, whereas you don't, again, segregate people or make them feel different because of your own insecurity. No, no, I agree with you. I agree hundred percent with you. And the fact is, is that you are right. I mean, there is a way for us to ask. And I truly do believe that, you know, as leaders, and I do consider you such an amazing leader, mm -hmm. that it is our social responsibility to educate our community about everyone. Yeah. And I think a lot of the problem is, is that our community is not educated enough yeah, when it comes that. to the differences that we all seem to carry. And by the way, we all seem to carry those differences in one form or fashion. Fashion, I just think it's all about the approach. A hundred percent. And I think it's about, like you said, I think it's about the education. And I think that the education is the most important because once people like start IDing, and I love to do a self-ID campaign because you actually then can understand what the definition of disability is. And that what I also love about being disabled, because I believe it's a gift. My crutches were a gift. My voice was even a bigger gift to me. And then of course my sense of fashion, which is just undeniably great. It is. <laughs> <laughs> but the education, like once people are educated, then they can do what they want with it. But it's just a matter of the understanding of what it is and how do you define what disability is. And people ask me that all the time. And that's why I am, you know, that's why I left my corporate job is to do this day in and day out to educate people on not only what does disability look like, but actually what does disability represent to the world? How does it represent itself from a hiring? How does it represent itself in an ad campaign? How do you represent yourself? You know, hopefully there will one day be a, a Fortune 500 disabled CEO, you know, and it's just a matter or a president. of president or president. Because at one time we had one and nobody wanted to talk about it. And the fact that we even have pictures and statues where we actually hit it. Uh, it's well, well, that's what happens again, because they didn't want to see because that would be off brand, but 
what I say is like, you know, DEI in America has become trendy, right? And DEI in America, and we all know this, and I am proud to say this, I am glad and I am thrilled that we are taking action. But when we look at it, what does it mean? There's three groups that people really concentrate on today in DEI it's black, it's brown, and it's LGBTQ. You're right. You're right. And take it, by the way, as, as an LGBTQ man, as a father of Black children, a father of a child who they consider brown and not Black, you are 110% correct on that, everybody. Listen to what she said. You know, we all want the to be inclusive, but if we truly look at what we have done for the last several years, there have been three main topics, but there are not three main topics within this, Lauren. That's, it's so true. And so when you said the word inclusion, what I tell people and what I tell the corporations that I go into is inclusion is about including all. If you don't include everyone, then do not call yourself inclusive. You know, America, if we're just concentrating on America, it's 62 million adults have a disability, okay? That's one out of every four adults in America. Wow. wow. So if Listen you- to that number, everybody. So we're talking one out of every four. And we're just talking, let's, I know that we are, we are listened to around the world, but right now we're, we're just, let's focus on the fact here in America, one out of every four people have a disability, you know, and Lauren, that, that to me, I, I didn't even realize that. So wait, so you can be an LGBTQ man. You can be a father of black cho- black and brown children, and you could actually qualify as being disabled because of my hearing. You are hearing impaired. So now, why do you feel that you would be left out? Right? Uh, you sh- yeah. shouldn't be left out of. You represent all of those groups, and you're happy. I mean, look at you. You just took out your earpiece and said, "I'm going to self ID as being deaf." Yeah. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. And just like people today, when they came out, you know, when they said, this is me, I'm here and I'm proud to be me. Why wouldn't you want to say, this is how you represent, especially if you're physically disabled, you say that to the world every day, be proud of who you are. But it does to me, I don't care what color, what shape, what I just call this a form of transportation. What form of transportation do I use? Be proud of whatever color you are, whatever mode of transportation you use, whatever sex you want to sleep with, whatever child you want to adopt or have, be proud of it all or don't do any of it. Wow. Self-love. Self-love is what you call it. Listen, everybody, this has been the most amazing 30 minutes that I have had in such a long time. You know, Lauren, I will tell you, I've never ever have felt acceptance. And when it comes to saying those three things, yes, I've called myself a gay man. Yes, the fact that I'm a father of children of color, but to say, I've hit the reason my hearing aid is the way it is that it goes deep into my canal is because I was embarrassed and didn't want people to see it. And I thought, how would they think? And it's having friends like you 
who have made me realize that it is self-acceptance first, and then you become unstoppable. And so with that, thank you. Listen, everybody, the book is called Unstoppable in Stilettos. You can actually get this. We're going to have the link on our podcast here. It's going to be embedded in my website because this is one of my top books. I'm telling you right now, get it, read it. It's going to change how you look at things. And by the way, I think so many times we look at disability and think it's something we have to see. And that's not the case. And this is going to help you learn that. Lauren, again, thank you so much. Thank, thank you for you. being my friend. Thank you for just educating me and educating our viewers and our listeners. And I can't wait until the next time you and I talk because I know we're both going to be unstoppable. Yeah. Take care, everybody. Thank you. I want to say thank you to each and every one of you for listening or watching the latest episode of Fostering Change. All of us on our team hope that you've learned something new today and have been inspired to be a good human. Now, just a reminder that you can always find Fostering Change on your favorite channels on Google, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and others including, of course, comfortcases.org. I want to give a big thank you to all of you for joining us each and every week. And a reminder that if you have a suggestion for a guest, or maybe you might have a question about today's podcast, or are interested in becoming a sponsor of Fostering Change, please don't hesitate to email me personally at fosteringchange at comfortcases.org. Now, that's it for now. Thanks again, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Take care.